Welcome everybody to episode 63 of the Enneagram Journey Podcast with the Enneagram Godmother, Suzanne Stabile. Today's guest is Enneagram 9, the Reverend Susan Robb. She is a senior associate minister at Highland Park United Methodist Church here in Dallas and author of the book called Hearing and Responding to God's Voice. She's married to Ike and Enneagram 1, and they have two children, Caroline and James. Uh, things discussed today, who knew that Jonah was an Enneagram 9? Do 9s deal with shame? They also talk about discernment, calling, of course, and what are the gifts of 9s? After listening to the podcast, hop on over to lifeinthetrinityministry.com and check out the upcoming events page. We are a little more than a month away from Suzanne and Joe going to Los Angeles to teach a couple of workshops on the Enneagram and Stances and Centering Prayer. Also, while you're on the website, there's a month left, a little bit more, to apply for the Contemplative and Enneagram cohorts. Don't let that opportunity pass you by. I hope you enjoy the show and hope we see you in Los Angeles. Writing out scripts for me and all kinds of things, Joel just said, I'll take that. <laughs> so that's where we've ended with him taking that part. Um, so I want to talk about, uh, lots of things because I know that you are a nine on the Enneagram. You work out of, at the same church where Joe is. You're both the same Enneagram number. Yes. And, uh, you have, I think a very unique position that I think you're particularly suited for in terms of being in some ways, the go-between between all the clergy at the church and the North Texas Annual Conference. Yes. And I feel pretty strongly that I would be terrible at that. And I could list a, a number of other people on the staff that I know who I think would be terrible in that position. But I think you're put together in just the right way for being that bridge. Well, thank you. But why do you think you would be terrible as a two? Well, because um, I would have my agenda in both places. And you, uh, I know that you personally and that you as a nine are able to facilitate and maybe have an agenda, but not have it be on the table. Is that accurate? I think that's pretty accurate. I don't, I don't usually, unless I'm going into a meeting where I know there needs to be an agenda, or if we've predetermined that this is a direction we're heading, I usually, I usually don't have an agenda when I'm mm-hmm. meeting with a group of people. I try to hear. And as a nine, as you mm-hmm. know, the gift and the curse is that I understand, I really do, sympathize and understand both sides Mm -hmm. of a conversation and an equation. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that's a real blessing, and sometimes um, it can be frustrating for other people or it can be a curse. So let's talk about when it's really hard for you, not for other people. When it's hard for me? Mm -hmm. Wow. I had one of those this week. Did you? (laughs) Good. It's all fresh. Yeah, it's it's all fresh. Uh, it's hard for me, you know, in a big tent church, we have 16,000 members. And of course, 
in that 16,000 members, we have a wide variety, which is what I love about Methodism, a wide variety of theological views among mm-hmm. our congregation as we do among our clergy. And in a meeting with a person who had one particular theological view, um, I feel as if it's my job to help not change a person's theological view, but sometimes to help them understand why other people can have a differing mm-hmm. view, but we could all still be happily under the same tent. And it's f- so frustrating for me when people just can't understand that because I can see both sides of the coin. And I what I find more and more and more and more and more that is that uh, other people can't. And I find that frustrating. That's very interesting to me because I've been um, thinking a lot lately. Um, you know how much I love and admire Joe. And I've been thinking a lot lately about him as a nine, as opposed to just the him that I love so much. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of come up with the sense that there are three things that he just doesn't struggle with like the rest of us because he's a nine. So I'd like to talk to you about all three and see if it's true mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. First is, I think shame is seldom, if ever, something that he deals with. The second is, I think nines are the least controlling of all numbers, at least overtly. Mm-hmm. And the third is this ability that you have to actually have a preference. Like fives are the only number that's neutral. So nines see both sides, but you have a preference. Absolutely. But people don't know what it is unless you say what it is. And that seems to come naturally. And the reason I want to talk about those three things first is because I want to talk about your book. So you have a new book out, and uh, the title is called, and I, well, it's actually affecting my life. So in terms of what I feel called to do. The thing I want to talk about leading into being able to hear call is, do you feel shame? Are you aware that you're not very controlling? And when you have a preference, how is it nobody knows what it is? Okay, there's three questions. Do I feel shame? Yep. Uh, Yes, I do. But it doesn't, I don't have this sense of shame all the time or this sense of guilt all the time. I have a sense of shame when I know that I've done something that's shameful. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, But I don't have this overriding sense of shame about really anything. No. So I don't carry a lot of shame around with me. You know, I carry motherly guilt like all mothers do. Sure. You know, that I'm sure that there's something I did to ruin my children from the time that they were born. Yeah. Well, we all did. Yeah, we did. All right. So if I defined guilt as about what you do and shame as about who you are, Mm -hmm. would you still say that you feel shame? About who I am? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. (laughs) So that's my definition. I think shame is about who you are, and I think guilt is about what you do. And I'm discovering this thing in nines where they've got some guilt about stuff they did. Mm -hmm. And they're aware when they do something wrong and Mm -hmm. they feel bad and regret it. Mm -hmm. But shame, not so much. No, and I I didn't realize that about ourselves. But no, I don't. Because I really do have this sense of being a child of God and 
there's I don't think there's anything shameful about that. If, if I am truly embracing the fact that I am God's, then then there should be no, there's no shame in that. Interesting. Because I have a lot of it. I, ooh, I'd love to know where that comes from. Well, one of my favorite books on shame is by Kurt Thompson. It's called The Soul of Shame. He says that if you arrive on the planet looking for someone who's not looking for you, that's the beginning of shame. And so since all adopted folk have it, even nines who are adopted have shame. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you all just don't, you don't have shame. And, and I wonder if it's because in part you don't assert yourself much and you don't think your presence matters much. So the things that most people end up being ashamed of perhaps come from thinking that I'm important and big in the room and saying things I wish I hadn't said, which y'all don't do. Or Not most of the time. No, anyway. right, right, right. Sometimes we do. Yeah, in s- small, quiet groups. So I, I, um, I'm, I'm going to circle back to that when we talk about being called. All right, second thing. I really want to understand what you feel like you need to control and why, and if I'm right, that you're less controlling than other numbers. What I feel like I need to control and why I'm less controlling. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you know this, there are probably some things I want to control, but I feel are out of my control. And so sometimes I just, I can go along with that. Or I can, um, there really are times when, and, and you probably get this with Joe, where I don't have a huge preference on things. I really can easily go with the flow. Don't care most of the time where we go to dinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, mm-hmm. But so and as I tell my children sometimes, it's okay to go along until it's not okay to go along. Mm-hmm. And so I go along until I hit a point where I really have a strong preference. Um, and then I'm usually pretty vocal about that mm-hmm. and say, here's what I want to do and why. And what's hard for people who normally, who, who know me as a go-along person is that they don't think I mean that sometimes. Right. You know, they think, oh, well, if I push, she'll, you know, she'll go along like right. she always does. Right. And, and I have to go, no, this is important to me. Mm-hmm. And so that I can, I've had to learn that in our marriage, I, that I really have to stop and go, no, this is really important. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that I normally go along, but this is really important to me. And so, um, and you also know that we can be, passive-aggressive about mm-hmm. getting our way. So mm-hmm. sometimes there is an agenda, and I've voiced an opinion, that, but it probably hasn't come across as strong enough. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Sure. So sometimes when I was like, well, I've said this is what I want, or mm-hmm. this is how I want things to go, and but of course I don't think that my opinion or presence right. matters, right? Right, right. <laughs> and so I think, well, they don't care, whoever they might be, mm-hmm. whatever situation that is. And so uh, then I can become a little more passive-aggressive. Okay. And now I've kind of lost track of what the question was. Well, all right. So we're going to back up. That was all very helpful. The thing that's fascinating to me, though, is I'm talking about you not being controlling, Mm -hmm. and you're responding, as nines tend to, Mm -hmm. with places where you stand up for what you believe in. But Mm -hmm. that's still not controlling. It's like when I try to talk to nines about being controlling, they can't get to how they are controlling because they aren't. Mm-hmm. 
So denominationally right now in the United Methodist Church, we've got a significant difference of understanding, I think. Mm -hmm. And we're all trying to find our way through that with our own way of being. The thing that I'm aware of, though, is that as a two and the mother of a gay son and the friend of lots of people in the queer community, I tend to try to control other people's response, Mm -hmm. not just try to be clear about mine. Mm -hmm. I'm old enough that I don't waste that energy. And I'm old enough and smart enough and wise enough that I try to be thoughtful and smart in terms of how I play my cards to stand up for what I believe in. But I'm attached to how people respond, and you're not. Attached to how people people respond. Right, and nines are not. I shouldn't say you're not. But for the most part, nines say what's theirs to say, but they're not attached to the response that they get back. And all all of this is leading up to the fact that I don't know that I could write a book on being called. Because? Because I'm controlling And I don't think you can hear as easily when you're controlling that you're being called. But even for a nine, when I would sense, I think this is what God wants me to do, there's still a sense of this control, of of losing control of, yeah, but I'm a young mom with two small kids and here's how I kind of thought my life was going to go. And it's frightening to not know where you're going, mm-hmm. right? When I think I've got things planned out and I'm headed this direction, that's great. And usually I'm okay about going with the flow, but if it's going to disrupt, disrupt my family's life, mm-hmm. then then that's a big concern for me. But, but <laughs> based on my reading of the book, mm-hmm. you're still really open. Yes. Really open without making up an ending. Yes. Yeah. Well, the rest of us struggle with that. And where I would say, so in, in the in the movie Forrest Gump, I really it, and sometimes I uh, I feel good about this, and sometimes I think, why am I? I'm like the feather, you know, mm-hmm. the feather mm-hmm. just kind of floats along, mm-hmm. and goes along. What a good and, analogy, you know? Yeah. And uh, sometimes I think, isn't that nice? I'm I'm willing to go along, but I'm very envious of those people, and I think I said this in the book, mm-hmm. who are very clear and very certain about where they want their life to go, mm-hmm. how they're going to get there, what they're going to do. And so sometimes I feel, um, as a nine, I guess, or it's just me, that I've missed out because I don't have that clarity of focus on this is exactly where I want to go and how I want life to be, and these are all the steps I'm going to take to get there. But, of course, if we're really truly open to God's call, that could all be that could be all shuffled away in five minutes, right? Right. So you just did some good affirmation of everything I said about you <laughs> in terms of hearing call. Because you see, I get that you have some envy around people who set a direction for themselves and know where they want to go and all that. But that keeps you from hearing call. That keeps you from hearing a voice that calls you to do something else. Unless you're also intentional about 
carving out time for that. And I know that you are. I know you and Joe are both intentional about contemplative prayer and listening to God's voice. And so you may get up in the morning with your blinders on and ready to greet the day and you know exactly where you're headed, but you also take time to stop and listen. We do that. But, and here's how we respond. Joe hears the call and says, okay. And I hear it. And if I don't like it, then I struggle to say, okay. Instead, I kind of try to change the game or change the narrative or, but what about this? And what about this? So one of my, one of my things about trying to understand nines is I don't find much resentment in nines across the board. I just don't find much resentment in nines. I don't find nines to be controlling for the most part. And when you are, it's almost when nines are controlling, it's almost so unrehearsed that it's obvious Mm -hmm. that you're trying to be controlling, but you're not too attached to the outcome. It's like, I really want to do this. But if you say no, it's okay. Yeah. If you don't want to, it's all right. I, I don't want to fight about it. I, I want to go along with that, right? That's true. And, until it's a really, really tough, a really point that I dig my heels in on. Yes. Which in Enneagram Wisdom, we would call right action. Yes. Right? In those yes. moments where it involves your integrity, then the answer is, I'm, I'm not doing that. Right. Not, not going to do it. So the thing that I find curious you have adult children Mm -hmm. you have a very busy husband you have a very big job Mm -hmm. and you're consistently in my observation generous and open thank you i believe that has some things to do with your subtitle for the book in terms of hearing and responding to God's voice. The thing that struck me, um, first thing about the book when I saw it, was responding. Because so many people who write about discernment write about hearing Mm. and discerning as opposed to hearing and responding. Mm Mm-hmm. How would you talk about those two? About hearing and responding mm-hmm. and discerning? As opposed to hearing and obeying or hearing as discerning, right? Like responding is the big word there for me. Responding. Well, I think, so hearing, and I think, and, and you've read the book, so you know, I think we can hear God's voice and we can question is this God's voice I hear, or is this my wild imagination or some indigestion? Or, or you know, wh- what is this? Is this really God, or is this just my creative? Which is what I thought for myself, because I have a pretty creative right brain, and I thought, I'm making this up. Mm-hmm. I am, this, this just can't be, because this, this is not a good time in my life for God to be sending me off in another direction. Right. And so I'm sure that I'm misunderstanding this. And so that did take some years of, or time of discernment. Um, but then, of course, that call was reinforced by my husband sure. and by other people. And then once you keep hearing that voice again and again and again, you finally go, 
oh, okay, mm-hmm. so this is what you want me to do. And the response is, like so many prophets in the Bible is, well, then w- the response has to be, well, here I am. Yeah. Great. This is where we're going. Let's, like Abraham, let's pack up and go. Um, and so for me, in, in one call anyway, to, to, know, to know that I know that I know that I know that I know that this was God's voice and this is what God wants me to do, it's easy to say yes. Mm-hmm. And then there are those moments when, uh, as in with the call of Jonah, and I've had those moments in my life too where, where the, God's call seems to trigger a sense of self-righteousness or judgment on my part. And I think, no, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Have you had that? Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I usually just say I'm not doing it. But I have Joe. You know, that helps. So you're uh, working with six biblical characters. Mm-hmm. Please Say which six, so everybody can hear that. And then talk about the one that you're the most like as a nine. Ooh, okay. Um, so the so the characters are, and I'm going to give you a little bit of background on this. When I was in seminary in my evangelism class, we were we had to study as many call stories in the Bible as we could over a certain period of time. So read these call stories, and then we're required to write about them and, and identify with who we identified with. And I fell in love with some of these characters in that assignment and others I fell in love with later and just in my ministry journey and my journey of faith. And so the characters are um, Abraham, Samuel, Esther, Jonah, Mary Magdalene, and the beloved disciple as written in John. So those are the six characters. And I would say that Though Mary Magdalene is probably, well, they're all my favorites. <laughs> they're like my babies. Right. Uh, Mary Magdalene is probably my favorite story because I think it's the most intimate and heartwarming. I think I identify most with Abraham because I did hear a call. And once I was certain it was God's, mm-hmm. I said, well, let's pack up and go. And I also identify with Abraham because... I, like Abraham, feel as if even my call to ministry, so I I sensed this call that I was supposed to go to seminary, but I didn't know if it was going to lead to being uh, an ordained ministry or if it was just going to help me be a better educated Sunday school teacher. Mm -hmm. And so like Abraham, Abraham has said, Abraham, go to the land that I will show you. And Abraham doesn't have a map. He doesn't have a five-year plan. Mm-hmm. It is just go, and it is right foot, left foot. And as um, I think it's the seventh verse in chapter 12. I hope I don't know if I have that right or not. But uh, We're Methodists. You don't have to. Oh, good. Good. It says, um, and Abram journeyed on by stages to the Negev. And I feel as if my call, even not, not just my call to ministry, but my call daily is is to go on by stages mm-hmm. to the negative where God shows step by step and stage by stage. And so in that sense, I feel like Abraham. I also feel like Abraham, Not I wasn't 75, but I was 43 mm-hmm. when I started seminary. And that's, you know. That's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah. Very so I felt courageous a little thing. older. Mm-hmm. I was on the mommy track. It took me six years to finish a three-year program. Mm-hmm. 
which is fine. Yeah, it was fine. I had all the time in the world. So the thing that differentiate, differentiates nines from other numbers are, are lines like these. I didn't know if I was going to be ordained or to be a better Sunday school teacher. Mm-hmm. See, there are other numbers that wouldn't go to be to seminary to be a better Sunday school teacher. Why not? <laughs> well, because <laughs> there, there are a thousand reasons why not, <laughs> but one of which it's not worth the time to me to be a better Sunday school teacher. It's not, there, there is this palms up way of being a nine in the world mm-hmm. that is unique to your number. And I think it is a unique gift when you are being called by God to do something because there's less questioning and less control and less uh, and, and fewer conditions. And as I read the book, one of the things that I was looking for was somebody to relate to who had conditions. And Jonah was the one that had the most conditions. And yet, in terms of Enneagram numbers, Jonah was a little more obstinate than I tend to be. But in reality, I think Jonah is a nine. Do you really? I do. So Jonah, if we give your readers a little background, Jonah is called to go by, God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, mm-hmm. and call out to them. Basically, just tell them that in 40 days, Mm -hmm. they're gone. Mm -hmm. God doesn't say, go and have them repent. Just go and and deliver a message. Mm -hmm. And it's a short one. And we don't know why in the beginning, but Jonah doesn't say no to God. He's passive aggressive. You're mm-hmm. right. <laughs> Maybe he is a nine. There you go. <laughs> he this, I'm just going to watch this unfold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. So Jonah just, without saying anything, just goes the oppo- the complete opposite direction of Nineveh, gets on a boat, goes down into the belly of the boat, goes down to Joppa, and heads as far away from, he hopes, the presence of God as he can get. Mm-hmm. And we find out later that he is running away from God because he doesn't want to go and deliver a message that might cause the Ninevites to repent because he knows that God is a, a merciful God, slow to anger, mm-hmm. Uh, quick to love and to forgive. And he doesn't want that for the Ninevites. He hates the Ninevites. The Ninevites were the Israelites' biggest enemies during that time. He doesn't want that. And so so he runs away. And when God catch him up, catches up with him, he goes, this is the whole reason why I wouldn't go. Because I knew, I knew that you would forgive them. And I didn't want that to happen. I don't want to sit around and watch that happen. So here's what I think. Mm-hmm. Every time somebody asks Jonah a question, he tells the truth. Yep. Nines. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they say, what's the problem here in the boat during the storm? He says, I'm the problem. And if you throw me overboard, it'll solve the problem. Nines are the only number that would do that. Really? Yeah. Then when he gets to Nineveh and he does what he was told to do, then he's all sad because God's going to forgive people. But he tells God that he's sad and angry because God's going to forgive him. Only nines would do that. 
Other, there are certain numbers that would pretend to be, I'm so, God, you're so gracious and loving. I want to be more like you, right? But not Jonah says, I didn't want you to forgive him. So that's why I didn't want to go to begin with. So you think nines would be honest about that? I think nines are honest about almost everything. But I think nines have are living in the world in a way where they have less to protect and less to prove. Because you don't think your presence matters. You generally are very hesitant to assert yourself. And you ultimately, at the end of the day, believe in the goodness in everybody. And when I try to find all of those characteristics in other numbers consistently, I don't find them. And, and sometimes all numbers have their gifts and all numbers have their problems. But those things are all consistently true in nine. So essentially, I know why I write Enneagram books. So when I talk to an author who has written another book, my first question in my head is, why would they write that book? And the anomaly in you being called to ministry in your 40s is a thing. But the bigger story, I think, is the response to the thing. Responding to the call yeah. and going to ministry. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And I think it's very telling that you put on the cover of the book. It's not just about hearing. It's about also responding to God's voice. And I, I'm not aware from reading the book or from knowing you that you did much negotiating. It's like once you knew that that was the call. Right. So, yes, and once, and this is not in the book, but once I knew that was the call and that that call was affirmed by Ike, my husband, um, we did spend some time, sort of, I was really involved in other things. So I spent a year extricating myself mm -hmm. from boards and volunteer opportunities and all that sort of stuff. I've just spent a year extricating myself from all of that. To and a year preparing my children for mommy not being mm -hmm. just at their beck and call all the time. Mm -hmm. So, um, but we did move toward preparing and getting ready for that. Okay, I think every call costs. Mm -hmm. So, would you be comfortable talking about what your call costs you? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Every call is risky, and every call does cost. And I would say, um, the call to, to go full-time, not full-time seminary, but go to seminary, work part-time in the church. Obviously, Ike and I, as we looked at how we would shape our time, that our children were going to come first. And we also knew that going into this, and I knew that going in, that the I remember distinctly praying, once I knew that this was what God had called me to, the next prayer I prayed was, Lord, I hope, I pray that you'll show me when the timing is right to start this. And the answer, you know, I don't usually get just clear thoughts mm -hmm. in my head, mm -hmm. but this clear thought came immediately back to me and it said, the time will be right. And I expected, you know, like when your children are ready, but the thought came back and said, um, the time will be right when things are really, really right in your marriage. And as you and I know, there are different levels of rightness in sure. a marriage. And I've always had a great marriage, but I knew that there were some things that Ike and I needed to work on to mm -hmm. make sure that that was solid and secure before I started seminary. And that, that incredible relationship with him, that support system 
was what I needed to make sure that we we could get through seminary and into ministry together. So what the cost was was that we had determined too that if anything if anything was going to fall through, it wasn't going to be our children, mm-hmm. but that we were strong enough that we could absorb that we could neglect each other a mm-hmm. bit if we needed to do that and. And we did. Sure, no choice. Um, so there was some so there was some spousal neglect that we were both very patient about, but there was a a, a loss of closeness with friends because mm-hmm. some things have to fall off. So socially, mm-hmm. um, I'd say I didn't lose friends, but didn't have as large a network of friends. A lot of other social obligations, like I said, I extricated mm-hmm. myself from lots of boards and committees and a lot of things that I really enjoyed had to take a back seat. Mm-hmm. So that was a cost. There's also a cost, I think, in uh, sleep. I didn't do much sleeping through seminary. Mm-hmm. There was a cost in once I was in ministry in my home church, it was interesting that your relationship with people within your church changes as it naturally has to. So that conversion of watching how people responded differently to me as just someone that would come in every now and then and teach their Sunday school mm-hmm. class or a, a friend at church to to flipping to being a minister was mm-hmm. really interesting to behold. Yeah. 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 So there were there that, those relationships do change. That's all a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So did you ever second guess the call? No. Yeah. No. I, and that, and because, now here's where I think the nineness comes in. Because I'm a nine, I think it would be easy to, if I wasn't certain of the call, it'd be real easy to quit. There you go. It'd be, and because who wants to do something that that's hard? Right, right. I, I don't. And not when I could just still keep hanging out with my kids and mm-hmm. have a free and easier life. So it would have been so much easier and there were times, there were times that I read about it in the book. There was one day, I was having a really hard time. Had been through a year of seminary, not sleeping really much at all. That was such a gift from God, too. I don't know how I made it through. But um, I'd be, I'd go to class during the day. I'd be mommy from 3.30 until 8 at night. And at 8, we'd tuck in the kids, and I would start studying and write papers. And so, you know, I, I could be up. Till two a.m. Sometimes I was up till five a.m. and then I'd be back at it again. So that took its toll, and I can remember after about a year walking home from class—not walking home from class, walking from class uh, across the lawn from Perkins School of Theology to the church where I worked part time at the time—and it had just been a horrendous week, and I was exhausted and tired. And this thrill of sort of, I was so thrilled at being able to learn at the feet of these incredible professors. And all that thrill was a beginning to wane. And my kids were complaining because, you know, the food at home wasn't nearly as good as it had been before. And laundry would pile up. And, you know, it was just a tough week. And I remember just saying, like walking across the lawn, why don't I do, why why do I just, why do I keep doing this to myself? Why don't I just quit? And then just immediately out of my own mouth, came, oh yeah, because you called me here. Because you called me here. And that faithfulness is a big, big, big deal. It's a being faithful to call. Hearing call and saying yes is one thing, 
Being faithful to call is the next big thing. And I think uh, some numbers are more suited to it than others, which I think makes you a, a good mentor for people who are trying to hear what is theirs to do and how they're to respond. I'm going to interject in here too. Cause, Please cause, do. Because you said, you know, we're, we're always, we're, we're faithful and how we respond is great. I think, and you've also mentioned uh, shame or guilt. I think, and I don't know if this is a nine thing or if it's just a me thing, but um, I do struggle at times, again, in a big tent church where you want to take care of the whole, finding the right tone and tenor or the place when it's okay to stand up and say what it is that I really think needs to happen or theologically where we should be. And you said you have no trouble saying this is really what you should think and believe. Mm -hmm. And I would love to say that sometimes, but I can't Um, because I want to try to keep a balanced view. And so there are times, especially if I think something is a social justice issue. That's just where I was going. When I come out of a class or step out of the pulpit and I think, I should have pressed harder on that. I should have pressed harder on that. Rarely, again, I think because of wanting to make sure that I'm keep that I'm keeping this big tent together. Mm-hmm. Uh, rarely do I step out and say, "Boy, I I said too much." Yeah, I I think one of the things that I'd like to talk with you about, in light of these biblical characters. And in light of where we find ourselves right now in our denomination and globally, and I have been saying publicly for about two years probably, that there are different times in history when certain Enneagram numbers, it's their time. And we need them to be the voice. And right now I think it's sixes and nines. Sixes because they're the number that's the most concerned about the common good, and nines because you see two sides to everything. Those are the two numbers that are the least likely to speak up. And so that's disconcerting to me because I think we need to be able to see two sides to things, and I, I, I feel sure that we need to be more worried about the common good than we are. Is there a place for you that is paralyzing between the two sides so that you know what you want to say, you know what you think should be said. But my question is, is there something happening in that space that you described that I'm now describing that you're called to say? Because I get call to ministry. Mm -hmm. I get that. I feel sometimes like I'm called to take a stand. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not in representative ministry, nor would I be good at that. So I'm clear on that. But I think there are times when everybody's called to take a stand. I, I think that you're the person that I know who has a response to that, even though it's not completely understood in the context of being called by God to go into ministry. So I remember early 
early in answering my call, I was probably, it probably was my, I don't know if it was my first year of seminary or I had just been accepted. I, I remember sitting on an airplane seat and there was a person to the right of me and the person to the left. I was in the middle seat and I was either working on seminary papers or getting ready to go or I was reading I was reading a book. I can't remember, but I know it was. It had something to do. There was some God stuff in my right, lap. Right. And the person to the right of me saw it and starts um, this conversation. You can just tell they are all sold in for God. They are all about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and just so eager to talk about their faith. And then there's the person to the left of me who looks you know, into my lap and says, Jesus, now that has something to do with like Christmas, right? And I felt like, okay, if the person to my left had been sitting in the middle seat, the person to Mm -hmm. my right would have run them away. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, I think I am, that God is perhaps calling me to be that middle voice, to, to help, to help witness if that's that's a, a, not a maybe a better word or to help bring along those who are searching trying to find a way or helping them bridge between the per, the people who are all sold in for Jesus but would be scary to those mm-hmm. who are struggling or wondering do I have a place in this place called church sure does that make sense absolutely so i i think in the church today um, within the United Methodist Church and the struggles that we're going to, through. And again, this is where I found frustration, but I think it's my place right now is to try to help both sides better understand each other. Not say you have to change your mind, mm-hmm. but to say, you know, Jesus really does call us to be one. Jesus really does call us to be one. And what could that look like if we could only understand where the other person's coming from. So do you see yourself more as a translator or a bridge? Well, I see myself as both, but I think more of a bridge, maybe. A mediator, perhaps. Okay. And in order to mediate difference, you have to represent each side to the other. Yes. Right? Yes. And you're particularly suited for that as a nine because it's how you see. Right. Right. So um, what would you say to the other numbers that are not your number about how to find a path of peace for yourself between two differing sides how to find a path of peace between two different sides um you know that's what i i was kind of like i'm hoping suzanne can help me with that because (laughs) she knows how all these other numbers respond that's where i find frustration is that i work so hard to say okay now i know that you see this way and here is why right okay now here's 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 this other person and they see things this way and I know why they do and here is why and the other person's just shaking their head like mm-hmm. well no that's not right mm-hmm. but they're wrong mm-hmm. well like well but you could be wrong too couldn't you no right no <laughs> and I'm both right both sides are saying I'm right no I'm right mm-hmm. well okay but 
can't can we ever concede that we might be wrong? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, but even if you're right and this other person could is wrong, could you concede though and understand why they could think the way that they do? And can we have some grace toward that? Mm-hmm. As John Wesley said. Exactly. In 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 our faith, we have five all Christians. There are five essentials of faith that all Christians around the globe believe in. And he said, in essentials, we have unity. In all else, we have charity. Or or he's been quoted as saying, we think and let think. And that is what I love about being a Methodist. Right. That is what drew me to this denomination and and fed my faith is that that we we can have charity for each other and each other's beliefs. If and what's really there shouldn't be that many things that are deal breakers. Right. 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 Uh, and so I'm I'm hoping that we can find a way of grace. So um, we don't have much time, but the thing I want to um, hear you talk about the most is: Do you think everybody is called? Do I think everybody is called? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think, I know, I know that I know that I know that we are all children of God and that um, God has breathed God's spirit into each one of us and God speaks. And really, this is one of the reasons why I wrote the book is because I was finding people saying, well, those are really nice stories, but God doesn't talk to people like this anymore. God doesn't speak clearly or... um, you know, and God chose these incredible, skilled, um, g- bigger than life people. And if mm-hmm. you really go back and you look, you go, God chooses the least likely people. Abraham is old, his wife is barren, Samuel's a little boy, uh, Jonah's reluctant, Esther is just this timid, uh, quiet Jewish girl. Um, Mary Magdalene is probably the most misunderstood character in the Bible, and she's a woman. And women were were their witness was not considered valid, and yet Jesus chooses her, chooses a woman, chooses one who has been demon possessed and um, but who adores him to deliver the greatest message, the first. Mm-hmm message of resurrection to the world. Yep. So yes, we are all called, all of us. If you're breathing, you're called. And so the trick is in responding. The trick is in listening and finding ways to hear that voice. And if you don't know that it's God's voice, if you think, I think maybe I'm called to this, to find wise wise persons of, of spiritual integrity and faith to to talk to about that and to keep discerning and reading the Bible and going to worship and participating in communion and taking walks in nature and praying and being in Bible studies. John Wesley would call those means of grace, ways in which we can experience the presence of God or hear God's voice. And the more we put ourselves in these means of grace and these means of hearing God's voice, the, then, um, then when, when God does speak, then we can hear. 
we can respond. Well, I don't know if you intuitively picked your folks or if you intentionally tried to pick different biblical characters, characters with um, varying stations culturally. But I think, even though you didn't pick nine, I think you covered all nine ways of hearing. And I think that's because you're a nine on the Enneagram. Because the truth is that nines really understand all numbers better than they understand their own. I'm not sure, I'm not sure what that is. I'm guessing that that was not intentional on your part, and yet I think it is intuitively there because, as nines, you try all the time, literally all the time, to do everything that you've talked about today in terms of mediation and balance, mediation and balance, mediation and balance. And so, at a time when our church desperately needs that, I'm glad that you're called and I'm glad that you know it, and I'm glad that you've written called so that people can get outside of themselves and maybe experience how much it costs, but that you're always okay anyway. And, the, and that the cost is always worth it. Always. Always worth it. Because and I think the, the thing I said in the book is that you know, God calls these least likely characters to do great things for God, but that when we say yes, God leads us uh, to a life that we could never, ever, ever imagine on our own. And I, I remember when um, I first acknowledged that I was called and I was going to seminary, and I told another friend who was ministry in who was in ministry, and I said, "I've started seminary, and I'm so excited about this." And she said buckle up. You're in for a wild ride. Mm -hmm. And it's been an incredible journey. Yeah. Well, I'm sure glad you took it. I'm glad you're one of the people that ministers to me. And I'm glad that you've come into my life and our church and that because you're one of those that ministers to me too. I hope so. I'm so thankful for you. Me too, you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. You betcha.